0: How are you?
1: Good. How are you?
0: Good. You're you're, you're hitting buttons.
1: I'm hitting buttons. Sorry. That's, That's okay. I think I'm done now. Oh no no. No I- no you're not. <laughs> I something.
0: Wait, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> this is already an exciting podcast.
0: We'll we'll take this out and post. It's like yeah. See, a- but
1: here's the thing. I heard you tell Thomas that and then I listened and you didn't take the stuff out and post. No, yeah.
0: what happens in the show happens in the show. <laughs> well, it's like Elizabeth, you know, last week when she was sneezing on a uh, minister and, and mystic. Yeah. And she was like, sorry, Sam. Cause she knows, or she knows. Yeah. Which is nice. I, I appreciate the,
1: the shout out.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the, the admission of her privilege to sneeze on a podcast that, I, you know, I have to edit and host and all that stuff.
1: Well, just wait for this week's because we might have to mark it explicit. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> What's on your mind?
1: Oh no, it wasn't me. It was Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah.
0: oh, 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 oh! I thought I thought you meant like what you were talking about today.
1: Oh no, not this podcast.
0: We recorded Minister it's and.
1: Okay. Yeah, we were recorded Minister and Mystic. So two weeks ago she was sneezing, and this week she was cursing. So it's okay. getting more interesting. You can curse. But fun fact. She and I have been podcasting for five years now.
0: Isn't that crazy?
1: Can you believe that?
0: So do do people know the story about Mac, as I call her, or Elizabeth? Oh, yeah. If you you don't know what we're talking about, Mariana does another podcast uh, called Minister and Mystic, and y'all talk about all sorts of things, reading, writing, book stuff, but also like some, you know. Religion,
1: mysticism, crystals
0: tarot cards yeah
1: Spirit, spirit animals
0: spirit animals owls um
1: solstices
0: solstices yeah so um i first met elizabeth when i was in college and i um i was even then i was a baptist but uh my roommate who i lived with all four years believe it or not uh, he, he decided he was going to go be a camp counselor at this Methodist camp because he was Methodist and he was like, Oh, you know, come, come with me. It'll be fun. And I thought, well, I don't want to be a camp counselor for the summer. You know, I've got a, I've got a steady job, but I'd been doing AmeriCorps for for the, the previous like two summers. Um, but and you so, didn't
1: necessarily want to go home either.
0: I didn't want to go home. So I had a, it was going into our senior year. I had a free summer. Didn't know what I was going to do. I, I could sweet talk my way into staying on campus Rent free because I, I knew the housing dean, and we were tight. And uh, yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna lay back and you know, take it easy on campus here. You know, be, being a religion major at, at small liberal arts school is hard, right? Um, <laughs> so, well, also
1: you went to Wofford, so I'm, <laughs> that's <laughs> right. just easy. So
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they'll let anybody in there. So um, yeah, <laughs> we I, we had a big fraternity party the night before, so. I, I was not feeling well uh, on that morning. And me and uh, another friend and, and my roommate all went up to uh, to Asbury Hills and we did the tour and and we get back to the director's office and he's like, all right, so, you know, are y'all ready to apply? And I was like, well, no, no, I'm, I'm just here for support. Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? Let's, let's back this train up.
0: And he's like, no, no, you gotta, you gotta do it. So anyway, I, I ended up doing it. My roommate ended up dropping out on me after like two, three days uh, during the training thing. I don't know why I did it. I, I was never like the camp counselor type person. But um, yeah, so I ended up being a, a camp counselor at this Methodist camp. I didn't really know anyone except for this this one friend. And he, he'd been doing it forever. Um, my high school- But as girl, a
1: camper, right?
0: No, 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 he he was a counselor. And my, my high school oh. girlfriend, Molly, the, the eponymous Molly, um, she actually was a counselor there for a couple of summers. You um, know, we talked
1: about her last week too.
0: Do, oh, we, yeah, do, we did. do
1: we need to have some more discussions?
0: Speaking of spare day, uh, <laughs> so I won't now. So, you know, I, I end up stuck at this Methodist camp and I didn't really know anyone. I ended up making good friends with with a couple of people there that I'm still in contact with. And one of those people was Elizabeth or Mac, as we called her. And um, she she was kind of like this, uh, this, this ever-present being. And she told me to play some guitar chords. And I... I, I like broke my big toe at one point i had to rehabilitate in the, in the lodge and and i i worked with her on um with with like kindergartners that week so anyway it, it was a fun it was a fun summer so then she you know she kind of popped back into our lives you know a few years ago and, and now you're doing a podcast and you've been podcasting for five years this is kind of crazy
1: yeah and this Cause, is cause actually our second podcast yeah i do yeah, yeah. exactly
0: right so yeah, it's, but it's the
1: the strange. crazy thing is that in those five years that we have podcasted, we've never met in person.
0: Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, it, it's isn't funny. it?
1: Yeah, it's crazy.
0: It's like Thomas. I mean, you you've met Thomas like maybe three or four times.
1: Oh, now that's not true anymore. Sure it is. No, I count. You can count on 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 your
0: two hands how many times you've you've met Thomas in real life.
1: No, no, we see them every year now. At least every six months. Well, now months.
0: we do. Yeah, but you know, th- there was a time.
1: There was a time,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's funny, funny how that works. I'm trying to. Think. It did
1: take it did take me a while to meet him.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I mean, like that was one of our our first weekends away. We we came and stayed with him. Oh, we, that's true. We did that I live forgot show. about
1: that. Yeah. No, that was that in Colombia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, not
0: not to do OPSEC about, you know. Yeah, you, you have to be careful on the internet these days. Well, information where people live and such. But yeah, yeah. We, we came to Colombia and, and stayed with them and uh, went to a. Well, they don't live here party.
1: anymore. So. No. Well, so here's the here's the question: Have Elizabeth and I now uh, beat the Thomas Sam record? Because that's our ultimate goal.
0: No, I mean uh, Thomas and I did a hundred and. 62 episodes or 150 I think online 149
1: oh we're way past that because we had 110 with our first podcast and now we're at 55 on our second one
0: yeah that's true so yeah you're you're about the same
1: yeah we did, we did some
0: other uh, you know we, we did some like tech shows and stuff that that were live at one time oh
1: probably yeah probably not gross number yeah
0: yeah but I mean we, we started podcasting in 2009 you know and then we started taking it seriously i guess in 2014 or 15 or so started doing it weekly around the same time y'all started you and elizabeth
1: because yeah so it's you... interesting though because now that uh thinking religion is kind of back we've been getting some listener feedback again people are well, getting used to us being back
0: well they're getting used to you i mean i'm I'm old hat but uh I, I do have some questions that people have sent in oh do you yeah i do you want to answer some questions
1: uh I, I feel like uh I need a microphone and a prepared testimony first
0: just there there's some maker's mark in the kitchen on the counter just I
1: have no exhibits to show
0: okay Michael Cullen um do you have the receipts uh let me pull this up yeah okay so first question what do you say to people who consider themselves atheists but are still interested in attending church <gasps>
1: I would say that our fourth child does not like that. No, she, she doesn't sound <laughs> no, like she's very um, happy about I that I No, actually, I actually have pastored some atheists, believe it or not. Um, and although I grew up evangelical and knowing the Roman road and having multiple jewelry accessories that would invite people into the plan of salvation.
0: I actually carry a... a, a- laminated copy of the roman road in my wallet at all times just in case i meet someone on, on, on the path
1: yeah um aloha yeah even though I, I never found it difficult as a pastor to foster a community and an environment where somebody who is a self-proclaimed atheist wanted to be involved i mean these now the people that i've pastored who are identifying as atheist also come to worship, but I've also had some people who are atheists who just come to the mission and community kind of things that we do as a, as a faith community, which is perfectly fine with me too.
0: So would you say they're more like cultural Christians in that regard?
1: They're atheists. That's how they identify. So I'm going to let them label themselves, but here's the one thing that I have found in pastoring And also just in general, that even the people who don't go to church, even the people who identify as atheist or spiritual, but not religious, almost always the people who are thinking about these things are people who want to do some good in the world. And so when there's opportunities to do good in the world, i.e. providing toiletries for the homeless or offering coats to those who are living on the streets, People are willing and ready to do that. They just don't know how to be engaged. And so I have some of the most generous donations come from people who are atheist and are religious.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting cross here. I think, I think, I think so much of that old paradigm of what, what church used to be in, in terms of being a place where believers gathered to do worship especially like in, in very vibrant churches, like that's really changed even in, I would say evangelical churches. I mean, I, I know people who aren't strong believers, but they go to something like, you know, kind of a, a community type church that might be non-denominational or might be, you know, like, like, a. I mean, here in South Carolina, we have things like new spring and elevation church and these, these large kind of um, community churches where it, it's not, centered around a, a denominational identity. Um, you, know, you you don't need to be UCC or Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or whatever to, to go and, and know what's going on at these services. And I've got good friends who go to those types of churches. And, you know, in, in our talks, it'll come out that, well, you know, I don't really believe in it all, but it's a fun place to go. And for me, it's kind of an outlet, exactly what you're saying, for like, you know, charitable cause or or a place where I can go and, and, uh, you know, have, have fun discussions in Sunday school about love and marriage and being a, you know, a, a young professional or whatever. And it's sort of the same thing that, you know, like, like Apple does with the genius bar now, like there is no genius bar at an Apple store, uh, that they've, they've sort of shifted their approach. And, uh, the idea now is, is, the Apple store is a, a place where you go to hang out and drink coffee and see your friends and meet up and take Snapchat and Instagram selfies or, you know, whatever. Um, and that's it to many churches. That's kind of become the, the same idea, like a, like a hub or a central for, um, for experiencing community. And I think that's a really interesting shift that we've seen.
1: Well, I will say, yes, absolutely. And then on kind of a, um, more, Uh, squishy i'll say i also have people who are involved with churches because merely for business reasons and so you have the like atheist and uh, religious people who are involved for civic and community kind of reasons but you also have people who are saying they're religious in order to further like their business because being actually being in part at least here in the South, right. Being a part of a faith community allows you some benefits that you don't have. If you're not a part of a faith community, including access to very, very premium childcare. And so (laughs) you'll have people who join certain churches in order to get a bump up on the list for the, Oh gracious. Good gosh. (laughs) Speaking of,
0: (laughs) We, we need to join that episcopal church
1: i guess so um
0: yeah or i we, i mean
1: there's still benefits to being a part of a faith community that are not spiritual in nature
0: yeah i mean like a couple of week, uh, a couple of years ago we we had our annual guys weekend we're all sitting around the fire and a, a few of us were all from the same town and one guy said, yeah, you know, we, we've been talking about going to this church or this church. And, and one of the other guys said, oh, no, you, you got to go to this church because the, the young adults uh, Sunday school is the place to exchange business cards. And no, it's been wonderful for I my mean... business. And he said he, he was, he's an insurance guy. And he was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's been so great for us. And, and you know, the kids like it, but, you know, it's been great for, for my business as well. And this other guy who was a, in professional services was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, I'm sitting there with my cross around my neck. Like, no, you gotta. You <laughs> no, gotta go there for different reasons. Don't that is that.
1: not why you do it. It's not the well, garden I'm club.
0: There. It's not Kiwanis. You know, but. Yeah.
1: But oh, I mean, and and in, I say child, child care for you know we're in the age of of young, child care, but also for their youth. You know, you'll see a lot of uh, families come back to a faith community, so that their youth can be involved in some something, so that their older teen, you know, their teenagers we'll have some grounding in civic duty and caring for other people and mission work. That's when you see a huge return to the church too, I think.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it is interesting how the church has kind of become the, the outlet for that, you know? But
1: we'll say again, we're speaking from the context of being squarely still in the Bible belt. This is not the case in other places. Well, sort of. I mean, I,
0: I've got friends in you know New York City and Chicago and even LA where they they, they still say the same things about like, especially with youth groups or with, um, you know, just kind of having a, a grounding or saying like, well, this is where, you know, my father went to church and my mother went to church. So we, we take the kids there a few times a year just to keep them in the system, if you will. Um, again, kind of that cultural understanding of what church means, but...
1: Yeah. And I think that's a good point. There is still kind of a cultural acceptance to going to church on these high holy days or going to church as part of your um, holiday kind of rituals or traditions, you know, oh, well, we always go to the Christmas Eve service. Okay. You don't go to church any other time of the year, but you always do this one thing at church because it's become a, a, a tradition.
0: Yeah, and you you know it's a good excuse to get dressed up on Easter to, to show up in your seersucker outfits, you know, matching matching. Buy
1: a new dress. Families, buy a new suit. Suckers. Yeah,
0: Yeah. <laughs> get a. Go get Post a it on Facebook. Instagram. Um. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that discussion again.
0: Yeah, all right. No. I, yeah. I just I think that's really interesting. Um. Okay. Well, that's good. You want to do another question? Sure. All right. Let me pull this one up. Well, I uh, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was gonna say so. This is uh, you grew up in a household where you were the one who kind of brought your parents to church. I was gonna talk
0: about this, but I didn't want to tell a story. But yes, I I did. I, I, um,
1: whereas I grew up in a family where going to church was the expectation, right? Wednesday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night, there wasn't
0: dictated our our marriage as well.
1: Well, there wasn't. (laughs) An option not to go. I mean, in college, you kind of got the freedom, but you would also get the phone call to ask, hey, where'd you go to church this morning? Oh really? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, we're Love coming at this uh from two very different experiences. And then we also so we have this discussion. Obviously, I'm a minister and so I go to church on Sundays because that's what I do for my profession and my calling. But we have this discussion with about our kids. Like, do we force them to go to church? Obviously, we're not going to force them to go to church if they're not well. Although I can tell stories of having to go to church when I wasn't well. In fact, I remember being rushed out of Wednesday night supper because I broke out in chickenpox. So, oh my gosh. But I was there first.
0: <laughs> you got your gold star.
1: So... You know, we have this discussion as parents back and forth. Do we force our kids to go to the mm-hmm. worship service? Do we not? Do we do it sometimes? And this is something as parents we really wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily want to raise our kids in the same way that I was raised, where it was you had to do it. There was no no questions, no discussions. Um, you know, we have made the the decision that when we do these kind of community events where we are feeding the homeless, that our kids will be involved in that. Because that's, no matter what religious affiliation they decide to be a part of or not to be a part of, that's important to us as a family. When we have enough and we have more than enough, then we give back. But it's hard to figure out that kind of, I don't know, line, not line. I don't know if you want to comment on this. But I just wanted to offer that out to people who are trying to raise kids too like how do you really raise kids who have a respect for it but you also aren't forcing them to decide to believe what you believe
0: yeah I want I want to come back around to that one of the, one of the um, parts of my childhood that that still sticks with me today is I don't know how old I was maybe eight nine years old but I remember riding my bicycle on, on Sunday mornings. And I remember that age where you, you know, you, you first start getting kind of cognizant of the world around you and you kind of wake up from that fog of, you know, being an early <laughs> child and you know, which you don't really fully wake up until you're you know, from an, until you're 25 or something. But I, I remember riding my bike in, in the neighborhood and seeing one of my friends drive down the street with his family and they all had on their suit and ties and they were obviously going to church. And I remember feeling ashamed and then feeling curious, like, well, why are they going to church and we're not? And then.
1: But how did you know they were going to church? Because I had, you know, they had on
0: like dress clothes and they were all in the car together and they were.
1: Yeah. But you had some kind of awareness that this is what some people did on Sunday before that ever occurred. Yeah. Well, it's what
0: every family did on Sunday mornings, except for my family. And I'll, I'll, I'll. You didn't know
1: anybody else who didn't go to church? No.
0: Of course not. (laughs) No, I mean, they, they all didn't get to the Baptist church. Like, I, my best friend was a Methodist. Um, my other best friend was a But they all went to some kind of church. They all went to some kind of church. And and I always felt, I, I'd never stepped foot into a church until I was 13. You know, and I always felt like this weird sort of curiosity, kind of this Gothic curiosity about, well, what did the Methodists do? And then I started dating a Methodist in high school, and I started going to her church, and that was kind of taboo and risque, you know, like, let alone getting to touch her leg because I was in high school and we were making out. But like, then I also got to go to the Methodist church, you know, and I had an inn. And, oh, because
1: you, know, you had been to the Baptist church first.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like those types of churches were weird um, for me. Right. And then, and then, you know, I mean, we, I remember riding in the car with my mom, my mom and we passed the the Catholic church in our county. Like there's one and it's pretty small. And it's out in the country. It's very interesting. Um, still there today. And we, we passed the church on the way to my grandparents' house. And I remember asking my mom at a very early age, like, what is Catholic? Like, how are they different than, you know, every other Christian? Or, or I can't remember how to phrase it. But, you know, I remember saying, like, what makes them different? Because you could tell they were kind of set apart. And she said, oh, well, they worship the baby Jesus, not the adult Jesus. And I said, "Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense," which it didn't. But
1: you know, but I mean, yeah, uh, sure. I mean, you were a little. Yeah, yeah, you were little. I was like, "Oh,
0: they, they worship the baby Jesus." Okay, well, that's kind of funny. And then that's
1: the, funny because my, the the explanation I remember, and I don't remember who it came from, was they worshipped Mary, the mother of Church Jesus, of Mary, instead right. of Jesus.
0: Oh, god. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about the same, I guess. So anyway, um, yeah. So I, I, re- I we we had a my my great-grandmother passed away, the, the Cherokee, actually. I, I really am a, a Native American at heart. Um, in like my white. blood,
1: not just at heart. I, I, my have, blood. I have the
0: receipts and the details, yes. Um, I'm one of those white people who claim Cherokee heritage, but actually you know, do have Cher- Cherokee heritage. Um, so yeah, my, my great-grandmother passed away, and we had the funeral at this little Baptist church, and we started um, getting stuff ready and like my mom played a big role in the funeral and it was a big deal because like this lady was like a matriarch of the family and uh, yeah so that's I, basically I was like hey why don't we keep going here this is kind of fun you know cousin David goes here and this is where all the family goes and and uh, I started going with mom and then dad started tagging along and eventually dad and I got, got dunked together on the same day January 13th um, so yeah it, it was kind of a Funny thing, cause I was just getting into nirvana and growing my hair out at the same time I started going to church
1: at the same time. that That's so, <laughs> and then at a, I mean, as is actually oh, okay. not so uncommon in the Baptist world, you kind of got picked up, picked out as a young teenager to be called to the ministry, to preach, to do these things, which is not all yeah. that uncommon for young males.
0: Well, we had we had a young pastor who was really awesome, and he uh, at the time I thought he was, and I'm sure he is.
1: Did you have a, a separate family. youth pastor too, or no, the pastors no, no. kind of served in both capacities?
0: And we yeah, I mean we we had like a youth group, and it was one of the the moms who kind of led it. But we oh, who led it? Yeah, you know, we would just get together, and we didn't have YouTube at the time or anything, but we would just uh, it, it was more of a fellowship time. Uh, yeah, I don't think we ever had like a a consistent youth pastor. But I mean, the the pastor at our church did have a parsonage across the street. It was only 120 people, maybe, you know, in Sunday school at most. But um, yeah, for a little small Baptist church, like I I think the pastor was making pretty good bank. So we had this really awesome young guy who was very uh, charismatic and, and very good for me at the time when I was 15 or whatever. So I remember having lots of conversations with him about ministry and that kind of thing, and and he let me preach a few times, and uh, and that was that was a trip, um, and then he he moved to a big church uh, up near Charlotte or something, and it it, it was sad, you know, and everyone's like, no, yeah. not, not Pastor Tim, um, yeah, he was only there for a couple of years, but uh, he was he was uh, oddly instrumental in my in my early working through all this. So on that note, I mean, when when we think about um, what to do with children, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a big question that, that people who listen to this show might have, you know, in terms of how do you navigate those waters of being a parent? You know, it, like, like with us, I mean, my two older girls were born from another mother, and uh, they don't necessarily go to church, you know, all the time with their mom. And it's, it's one of those things like she and I talk about this all the time. Like, uh, should we just go to go or should we say chart your own path? Like, you know, Hey kid, you're, you're almost a teenager now. Like you can figure this out yourself. Or should we say, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to go to church until the point where you say, I don't want to, I don't want to do this or you don't give your consent. Um, I think that's a question a lot of people have, even if they're not people of faith, you know? Oh, oh, I think
1: so. Well, and there's something uh, I was just listening. I listen to a parenting podcast almost every week. That's called The Longest Shortest Time. And they had an episode on Baby Shark. And they were talking about, um, they were interviewing a a pretty well-known musical analyst who talks about... Um, how he wanted to foster his kids understanding of music because he loved music so much hmm. and they ended up liking baby shark. <laughs> yeah. And he's right. like, I mean I, all, all into the point that they turned, you know, three or something. And I was just thinking about our house where we're listening to Rudolph, the red dance reindeer radio yeah. last night. Because this is what our kid wants to listen to right he now. He loves Christmas
0: music. And I, and he loves
1: Christmas, Christmas music. music. And, you know, we have been pretty vocal about the commercialization of this high holy season and how as two ordained ministers, like, we're not all about the Santa Claus thing because it detracts, you know. At- it,
0: it could be. I mean, I, I would rather him be a big fan of Britney Spears or right. or something <laughs> like that. So now every time I get in my damn truck, you know, and I turn on the the thing, like my my Bluetooth hooks hooks up with the phone, and Apple Music just starts playing Christmas music because that's what I played when I dropped them off at school in the morning, and like this morning, um, you know. So yeah, every time I get so in the car, I'm like, oh, more I mean- bells. <laughs>
1: Yes. I mean, so could we as parents be like, no, we're not listening to any more Christmas music because Christmas is over and we're not listening to, <laughs> yes, we could be those parents, right? It's terrible music, all those things. So not but true, at the same time, right for our three-year-old, it's, it's a time of independence. It's a time of autonomy, choosing, The music that he listens to is actually something pretty significant. Now, if you then go to our 11-year-old who's about to go into middle school, finding her own voice and being able to say what she likes and doesn't like is actually really critical at this developmental age. She needs to be able to speak up for herself. She needs to be able to interact with adults in a way that is confident, that is clear, that's concise, but also respectful, Right. And so, yeah, this is a big thing. Do you play the Christmas music? Do you make your kids go like, drag them out of bed? Um, you know, we were a part of a church that started really early for the, for the, oh God, in yes. the most, you know, in the recent.
0: <laughs> Nobody knows my struggle with
1: that. History. And so, you know, literally like, all right, up and at them, here we go. After they've been doing that every day you know, during the weekday, because school starts so early in America, it felt wrong a lot of times because they needed rest. And I yet, you rest. know, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're talking about the kids right they're now. <laughs>
0: about the quiet suffering of the dad who has to get up for his pastor wife on Sunday mornings at seven o'clock,
1: yeah. o'clock or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, but so, another, a check or, yeah.
1: So that's, you know, that's one of the, Just the kind of logistics of getting up on, instead of having two mornings to rest and kind of ease in the day, that's a big thing, especially because there's so many kids, our kids included, who have Saturday morning activities that they have to get up for. So there's no time to kind of sleep in, which I can remember was a luxury, you know, that that Saturday morning when I didn't have basketball games or soccer games or dance or, or different things, they were rare growing up. And, and so, an adult,
0: like, you know, we, we value them like gold when so we don't have to get up at 4 a.m. with little girl there.
1: Right. And so, I I mean, there's so much more to this question than just, are we going to ask them to participate in the religious community? Right. Because I, I would say that we, you and I have agreed, at least when our children are here, that, yes, we will participate in a, a community of faith. Well, we have to. But there's. Job. well there's like no we don't
0: really have a choice (laughs) i'm like okay okay, you know eight-year-old get a get a sore throat so daddy can sleep in tomorrow it'd be great (laughs) just kidding
1: but there are lots of ways to participate in that community of faith and worship on sunday mornings is just one of them and i think a lot of um i have even talked to some some people colleagues who are asking me, well, I don't understand what's going on. Like, we don't have that many people in worship. And you know, my my question back to them is, well, what else are you doing? And it's not about the programs that you're doing, but there's so many people who work on Sundays now. They're right now the church that I pastor on Wednesday night, we have a Bible study, and there are people there who I've met who can't ever come to Sunday morning, but they yeah. are coming to Bible study. There are people who come to our uh, book study that I've never met when I went to the book study. The community of faith is really bigger than a lot of people think because, well, what do we determine that the community of faith is attendance on Sunday or attendance in Sunday school, right? Those are the, those are the numbers that we put on that little blackboard with the white things that you just stick in there. Oh yeah. So everybody can see it.
0: I encourage churches and- to, to use those. I think that's a very important symbol.
1: But but I think what I hope we're teaching our kids, which is all you can do as a parent, right? Hope that you're teaching them something, is to be involved, in and in, in purposefully be involved in a community that's doing something, learning together, growing together.
0: Why not? Why not go to Kiwanis or Lions Club, or you know? I mean, there, well, those are for adults. Services, but I'm I'm saying, like, you know, why not? Why not take your kid to the Rotary Club if if that's what church is about?
1: Well, Rotary Club is generally for adults, I think. But, yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, you, you
0: not, I mean <laughs> little girl. She doesn't like that either.
1: She doesn't like it either, apparently. So.
0: I mean, I mean you, you see what I'm saying there? Like, what, what, what makes church different in that? If that's the criterion, like, why get a church if you can do all that stuff and actually do it better by going to Be a Mason or, or going to, you know, the Elks Lodge or, or some other group?
1: Yeah, and I mean for me, I I have we have three girls. You know, one of the things that I want them to see that I didn't see is someone serving in a religious leader capacity. Why? Because so they know they can. So they know that it's an option.
0: Why is that important then? I mean.
1: For the same reason, it's important for them to see their their mom put on a white coat and know that women can be doctors.
0: Yeah, but I mean, we we need doctors in society. They they fill a very important role. <laughs> you know, what does church do now? That again, you know, like another group or, or another organization can or, or doesn't.
1: Well, I mean, this is the this is the conversation that Elizabeth and I had yesterday is there's so much hurt in the world that we need healers. And I talk about with the girl, our older two a lot about how potentially if we lived in the same city, their mom and I could be in the same hospital working. I could be there visiting, caring for someone's spiritual health while she cares for their physical health. And this is an important part I think of teaching a child that there's a lot of different parts of who you are. There, there's a lot of different things to consider. Now I don't want to tell them how to care for their spirituality in a certain way. Like, you know, I had at their age, I had a checklist of things we did. You did your personal Bible study, you memorized your um, Bible verse, you put your envelope and you put your dollar in the envelope to put in the offering plate It's harder, I think, because I'm not giving them a checklist and I, as a parent, don't have a checklist of things that, oh, we're going to teach them to give this way or we're going to teach them to participate by going to Sunday school and going to worship. Like this is harder, but they have to begin to understand that there is a part of them that is spiritual. And so, you know, this is what I and we are trying to do. Now, for us, that expression is in a community of faith, is in worship on Sunday mornings right now during this season. We've had season as parents that we aren't regularly attending a community of faith, but there are other things that we do. We go hike outside. We respect creation in that way. We spend time together. We get ice cream, you know, and we get ice cream at the local shop instead of getting it at the, you know, uh, mass produced place. You know, there, there's a lot to what you choose to do as a family and as a parent that reflects this care for the spiritual. Yeah, but just I, I think, like we talk about, hey, you can't have only sweets, right? That's going to make you crash. Or, hey, you need to drink some water because, like, your body needs water. And, hey, you got to learn to sleep because you're growing and sleep is really important.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm just still searching like in this new world for where the church fits into that because you can you can do all those things and you know support the creation and do this and this and this without you know, necessarily being involved in a community of faith or or you know being in church you know it, it's like the all the peer research studies that talk about how millennials are spiritual but they're not religious
1: mm-hmm. right and uh, i think one of the things that we don't often talk about in that Pew research is that those millennials are now new parents. They fall into the category of having young children. And so this is going to change the religious landscape again, the way that millennials decide to parent and approach the spiritual life with their kids is going to have a a, a great impact on the future of the church.
0: Yeah, no, I think so as well. And, you know, we're seeing that this week, you know, not to be, Contextual, but you know, with, with the United Methodist, uh, it's about LGBTQ uh, issue as well as you know what's happening in Southern Baptist life with, um, yep, you know, the revelations of
1: and the Catholic Church with the secret lives of priests and yeah. the abuse against nuns and all kinds of stuff, right? So, I don't, I mean, I think that your question is valid like, what is the church offering now except more hurt. And this is what, again, Elizabeth and I talked about on our podcast yesterday, is there's so much hurt that's been, that's being issued and has been issued by the institutional church. I think a lot of people are questioning that. And I personally, you know, as somebody who is a bivocational minister and has only been a bivocational minister for the time that I since I graduated is I think it's in the small church communities, exactly what you're saying in the personal relationship that you had with the pastor and the investment in that, in your life, in your interest and allowing you space to preach. I mean, good gracious. If you think about that has stuck with you until now and you just preached again last week, like this is something that happened to you as a teenager that you have carried with you. And to the point that now, you know, just last week you were preaching again, that's significant. These experiences that you have in a faith community or in some kind of spiritual expression, you know, for kids is essential to who they'll be and, and what they'll be called to later in life. I think.
0: No, yeah, I mean, maybe, but uh, you know, again, I, th- I think, those can be replicated and, and, you know, on the baseball field, you know, like giving the opportunity. To, well, I'm just saying the opportunity to, to get out and experience something like that, that sticks with you. Um, I, I think, I mean, in my sermon last week, that that's one of the things I was trying to address is what makes us different. And, you know, I talked about the table and communion and the Eucharist being, you know, something revolutionary and how, I mean, you want to talk about impact, but yeah, I mean, uh, our college minister at at Walford was uh, very intent about how Eucharist was the the center point of his ministry and his sermons, and you know, he wrote a book about you know the sharing at the table and all that kind of stuff. Um, so for me, that that made a lot of impact as a as a Baptist who just looked at the the Lord's Supper as something like you know, a remembrance of a historical event rather than something that was you know, a miraculous moment in, in the present. And, you know, we, we Baptists don't take that table stuff seriously enough, I, I don't think. But all that to say, uh, you, you can't replicate that outside of church. You know, it, it's, you can't do the call to prayer outside of a Muslim context, right? Like there are some things that are specific to the church that I think we don't emphasize enough. And I think that's to me that the answer I want to hear from, from people is, Oh, you know, I'll go to the church to worship and, and to, you know, to take communion or take Eucharist or, or give alms or, you know, do whatever, whatever that is, but something specific that you can't replicate, you know, at, at the Elks Lodge, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And I think it invites um, kids, teenagers to experience mystery and yeah, exactly we right. don't really emphasize the way that mystery and mysticism and the holy spirit really work with kids
0: yep exactly and
1: how you know kids and teen well teenagers are right on the cusp right if you don't foster some of this uh, awareness of the m- mystery of the divine you miss out on some great experiences and expressions from kids who get it. Like they just get it. They know other stuff is going on more than we as cognizant adults do.
0: Well, we, we push it out of our realm of, of context. You know, we, we know there's, there's no ghost in the closet, you know, there's no monster underneath your bed, but I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the former, um, you know, We call it Bull Street Hospital here in South Carolina. If you know that reference you know what I'm talking about, but it it, it, it was our state sort of mental institution uh, up until the early 80s. And now it's being renovated into apartments. And I I just think, my gosh, how could anyone live in that place because of all the ghosts that truly inhabit that building right there? And uh, when, when I was showing Ben, you know, our new office here, or I shouldn't say his name. Bleep. When I was showing our three-year-old, <laughs> yeah. three-year-old, um, you know, we, we drove by and he he said, "Wait, what did he say? Like, look at all those scary creatures or something?"
1: Yeah, know,
0: yeah, There's a like,
1: creature in there.
0: Yeah, creatures. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, that's that's quite the take." Um, and it, it's a spooky building. It's an old historic, you know, hospital-looking building, but uh, it's very beautiful. But it's also very. Um. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you get that that sense, and we as adults push that away, and we keep that mystery at arm's length. Um, so on Only to all, be
1: awoken by it at four a.m.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Right, yeah, it still
1: resides within us. You can't get it completely out of your existence.
0: No, it's there, and and uh, so all that to say, I mean, I think that's that's one thing that churches don't do is emphasize, like you said, the mystery of of faith, but also, you know, the mystery of this cosmos. I mean we look back on people who lived two, three, five hundred years ago, and we think, oh, how could they be be so, um, you know, primitive? And what do you mean they didn't have electricity or Wi-Fi? And, you know, just I think we're, you know, humanity might be in two, three, four hundred years if we don't kill ourselves with with climate change. But the, the idea that we are some sort of penultimate creature, you know, that we're at the apex of our development now in 2019 is so wrong <laughs> you know we're, we're still a young and curious species as carl sagan said and uh, we have a lot to learn and we we know nothing about the universe you know we, we've barely gotten off of this rock of of a planet that is beautiful and and great and I'm fortunate that we're here but we just discovered germ theory a hundred years ago
1: right you know so fallen, like, right
0: yeah i mean the flu kills Hundreds of thousands of people around the world every year, let alone you know waterborne illnesses and all, you know all sorts of things that that just seem uh, so primitive. And um, you know, here we are trying to say like, oh well, we're at the top of our of our game, and clearly there's no god, and clearly there's no mystery, and there's no monster under your bed, and there's no monster in this building I'm looking at right now. But there's a monitor in there, you know, and, and we do need to, in some way look at those mythologies and, and those religions that we have as, as humans and and lay claim to some of that. Cause there are, there are essential truths that we push away, especially if we try to approach life in a, a sterile sort of clinical fashion, you know? And then when I hold, you know, the baby at 4am, you know, I just think like, oh my gosh, you know, like this is such a, a weird, uh, cycle of life that we're in, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, yes, you can look at her and say, well, she's a collection of cells that were born because of this sperm and this egg came together, and they created this zygote, and they you know, blah, blah 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 blah. But at the same time, she's a living creature, you know, just like her dogs, just like you know, the grass outside. And and to to try to approach that in a in a sterile clinical, I won't say atheistic way, but but to say obviously there's no mystery left is is something I think churches can really combat and say, no, there's a mystery out there. Let's, let's hash this out because you're going to fill it at 4 a.m.
1: Yeah. And Henry Nouwen calls this reaching out. Like within us, there is a sense that something that's reaching out to us and also causing us to reach out to each other. There's something that's uniting us.
0: It's the force, man. It flows within
1: Well, us. yeah, I mean, but right. That's, I mean, if you talk about context, like, yeah, that's, I think, when our now 11 year old, she was nine. Like that is what she believed in. She believed in the force. She believed in, yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. Let's do that. Or the, the not too long well, it might've been about a year ago. She told me that she believed in the great seed and I was like, tell me more about that. And she said, Oh, I believe that we all started, from this great seed that was planted into the earth and then grew. And I was like, okay, I love it. <laughs> like she's wrestling with these questions of beginning and connectedness and life and rebirth and death and good and evil. You know, that's, I think all you can really hope for as parents is that there's some thought to that. There's some awareness that there's deeper and more
0: to, to bring it back to Asbury on that note, what was the name? Do you know this book? Um, it's about a turtle. And it's like a kid's book, but it, it's playing on the Cherokee myth, you know, with the, the cosmos being on the back of a turtle type thing. You know, Turtles All the Way Down, as we say now.
1: But well, John Green just wrote one that's a young adult novel called Turtles All the Way Down. But that wasn't published, so it can't be what you're referencing. But <sighs> What's also the a good name book? of
0: that book? Oh, God. Elizabeth is going to kill me. Um, I forgot the name of this thing. I, I was just thinking of it. I'm trying to Google here. But, yeah, so Old
1: Turtle, maybe?
0: Great Turtle, something? Anyway, we um, we would read this at the at the culmination ceremony on... Are and you start, supposed
1: to be revealing these secrets?
0: <laughs> and uh, some, we, we actually had people who were on staff who didn't like it because it wasn't a Christian story. And we we're at a Christian camp and, you know, And would, you
1: were like, or is it?
0: Oh, uh, exactly. And uh, was it was ultra. Oh gosh, I'm going to, I'll find the link. I'll put it in the show notes, but I, I still think about that book all the time, you know, especially now, like what you said with, with our, oldest daughter who's going through some of this and uh yeah there's there's something to sharing that
1: mystery if you if you want to you know um npr has this great series that's just short podcast that's called this i believe just go listen to that sometimes it's i believe in the power of baseball you know or ask your own kid what do you believe in or your friends who consider themselves atheists. What do you believe in? It's the most interesting study that I've done as a minister to youth, but also a minister to adults. Is just ask people what they believe in. If you're in some highly liturgical places, they'll uh, you'll get the Apostle Creed. But <laughs> if you go to Baptist contexts, a That'd lot be pretty of times badass
0: you- if someone just started reciting the Nicene Creed after. What do you? Yeah. Do you- I believe in God the Father and heaven only.
1: Because yeah. it prompts that, right? <laughs> and so we uh state our affirmation of our, our belief own. or something. Of all things.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: But just ask that question. It's fascinating to figure out people's answers.
0: Love you.